Humphrey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Really, really appreciate it. I first want to start, obviously you have the great question when you start your podcast about high performance, but we are business leaders. We have to ask you, what to you makes a great business leader? I think for me, uh, there's probably two key things that spring to mind. The first one is optimism. I think being an optimist is so important. I think if you're not an optimist, you don't believe things are going to happen anyway. Um, and if you don't think they're going to happen, then they're absolutely not. Whereas if you think they might, there's still a strong possibility they won't, but I think you're further towards success. I think optimism also allows people to dream. Um, and I think that's the other really important thing. I would I'd probably term it exploration. And I think what, what is a life if it isn't about exploration? Because I think it allows you to find what you can really be as an individual. But I also think it means that you have a mindset where you meet people and you think, well, what can we do together? Or you go into a, a, a networking event and you think this might be the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. And probably the most important element of the optimism and the exploration is that no matter how bad your day has been, when you lay your head on the pillow at the end of the day, you still think tomorrow is going to be the best day ever. And I think all of us as business leaders need that. I know I certainly need that. You know, I've carried a, a large production company through COVID. I've tried to build a, a content brand post-COVID. Um, I've, I've done a seed investment with three or four really interesting businesses and all of them are challenging. All of them at times make you feel like you're failing. All of them require you to use skills that people never believe you're gonna need. Um, but in every single instance, the reason why I got involved and I'm still involved and I'm still excited is because I love to explore and I love to do it with an, with an optimistic mindset. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, we'll, we'll touch on all these incredible points throughout your career as the conversation goes along. But, you know, you wear many, many hats. So could you just give us a little bit of an idea of your background for people who may know you from CBBC or they may know you yeah. from the F1 coverage or, or BT? Just give us a little bit of, a, of an overview. Of course. Well, um, I'm a very normal guy from a small village in Norfolk. Um, my mum was a teacher. My dad was a charity worker. I was a middle child of three. Um, and I sort of describe myself as being so normal it was boring growing up. Like, I wasn't awful at school, but I didn't excel. I wasn't in any sports teams. Um, I didn't do any acting or any drama. I just, I think I was probably a late developer, so I very much like floated through in those early days. And, um, and I don't know what changed, but something changed at some point. Um, but it was late because I did okay in my GCSEs. I then failed my A-levels, I got an E, an N and a U for my three A-levels. And I think this is where luck comes into play, right? And I think it's really important that we talk about this because I think there's so much toxic messaging out there at the moment of people who are successful and all they want to share on their Instagram or their LinkedIn or their socials is, look how hard I worked, look at my abilities, look at my sacrifice, look at my talent, right? The truth is that without luck, none of us None of us are lucky. I mean, the f well, none of us are successful. The very fact that we're born in a country like the UK where you can be you and you can explore and you can do things is lucky right at the very outset. The fact I was born into a stable family with two parents who were still together is lucky. The fact that as I was failing and struggling at school and my teachers noticed that, I was lucky. And it meant that when I failed my A-levels, I went back to school to retake them. And on the day that I returned, a local TV company had uh, a letter and they were looking for people to go and help out on a TV show and I messed up my exams right all my mates that had gone off to university or gone traveling around the world so I was like well I've got very little else I've been fired from McDonald's a few months before for a lack of communication skills 
Can you believe that? <laughs> um, which I still think is hilarious. In fact, I got an, uh, an honorary degree, a doctorate from the UEA, and I drove past the McDonald's where I, where I got fired, and I just lived up the cave and the bird as I went past. Um, and so I ended up working at a local TV company called Rapture Television while I was retaking my A-levels, and then um, I th we can talk in detail about risks and taking a leap. Like I had a place at university and I took the leap to not take that place and I went and worked for about five and a half, six grand a year at a local TV channel. That led to Children's BBC. That led to me getting an opportunity as a Formula One presenter and I remember distinctly feeling that that was a step too far for my talents and my abilities as a broadcaster although I was excited to do it. And I remember standing actually in the pit lane in Australia in 2009, I was in my late 20s, I was young for a, to be hosting that. And I remember hearing, you know, the famous theme tune, the chain, bah, 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 ringing down my earpiece. I was on my own about two kilometers from the production team, standing there, and my boss had said to me, everybody will make their minds up about you as the new face of Formula One in about 10 seconds. And I felt that, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm only here because I failed my A-levels. And I actually carry that with me now. You know, I moved on there to, B, uh, to BT Sport. And again, my boss said to me a few weeks before we launched, she said, you know, BT have paid a billion quid for the rights to this football and it all rests on your shoulders. Are you okay with that? And what grounded me was, well, I'm only here because I failed my A-levels. While I was at Formula One, I set up a production company called Whisper. It's now called the Whisper Group. It's got 300 plus staff turning over tens of millions of pounds a year, really purpose-driven content creation business. I'm only doing that because I failed my A-levels and then just before COVID created the High Performance Podcast, which is now so many things more than just a podcast, only because I failed my A-levels and that's why I'm sitting here talking to you because of the day that I got those exam results. It's, it's such an incredible story. And again, those touch points throughout your career have been so pivotal and, you know, that's, that's so inspirational. But I, I wanna go back to that moment that you were fired from McDonald's, which is just, like you said, a hilarious story itself. Yeah. Can you take me back to, I presume you were about 16, 17 yeah. then. Can you take me back to that and kind of, how did you feel? Can you, can you actually get in touch with that 17 year old kid and be like, just to let you know, in future, you're gonna be doing all this incredible coverage. You're gonna be, living a dream that you didn't even know you had. I can absolutely get in touch with that 17-year-old kid because I still feel like that 17-year-old kid. And I think that's a really, you know, another really important thing we have to talk about when people have perceived outside success, right? They're still the same person that they were. And one of the things that I get thrown at me on social media, which is n no surprise because everyone gets shit on social media, right, is, oh, you're so smug or you love yourself so much. And it's, I assume people think that because they think if they did the same job, they would love themselves or it's easy to assume someone is hyper-confident and really in control of their life if you see them you know, commanding a live sports show on the TV, standing alongside some of the most famous footballers the country's ever produced, right? But actually the truth is that I'm still that 17-year-old kid with the same doubts and the same fears and the same worries that the whole thing's gonna be taken away. I feel every single day like I'm an imposter. I walk into this room to speak to you and think, what on earth do they want to know from me about what it takes to build and create a business or to drive a culture or to find happiness in your life? I'm surprised every day that high performance has been the hit that it's been. I'm shocked every day that I managed to have, you know, a 25 year broadcasting career and that's not over yet. So it's really easy to get in touch with that kid. And I think the risk in life comes when you lose, you lose the sense of who you actually really are. And I think so many people 
get themselves wrapped up in feeling great about themselves because they've done great things. That's wonderful when it's happening and it's positive. What happens though when it's negative? If you allow yourself to grow with the great stuff, you have to allow yourself to collapse with the bad stuff. And the truth is that you are so much more than the job that you do for a living. The people that are listening to this are so much more than the business person they are or the entrepreneur. What are they really? They're the son, they're the dad, they're the partner. That's what they are. And I, you know, if, if you were to say to me, what are you? First and foremost, I'm a dad of two amazing kids. Secondly, I'm a husband to an amazing wife. Thirdly, I'm a son to two remarkable parents. After that, I think I'm a great friend to people. And one of my big things is to be present. So when me and you are having this conversation, we're having this conversation. I see too often people on their phones or they're not really present. And after all of those things, after all of them, I am Jake Humphrey on the telly, Jake Humphrey the podcaster, Jake Humphrey the business owner, but I'm also equally Jake Humphrey who was fired from McDonald's. Jake Humphrey who still probably feels a trauma from losing his grandmother to suicide when he was a teenager. Jake Humphrey who was bullied at school and had to change schools. Like I'm still all of those other things as well. And I'm not, if, I'm, if I'm amazing because I've had a good TV career, then I must also be awful if I'm no longer on the telly. You can't be one or the other. You know, you, you, who you are is none of those external factors. With the High Performance Podcast, you're talking to all these incredible people and you know, it's almost reinforcing those, those uh, validations and those feelings that you have. But how much do you actually work at having that mindset? Because it's one of those things that would be great to say in front of a camera and be like, that's fine, but then you go home and you kind of lose yourself a little bit. How, how much do you actually work at that? Or is it kind of innate as part of your nature? I think I'm really lucky that I have that humble upbringing from a, you know, a small village in Norfolk. Um, I'm lucky that you know, my sister works for the NHS and grafts like you wouldn't believe. I'm lucky that my little brother Tom runs um, a framing gallery in Norwich and you know, he, has, he has to fight for every penny that he makes. Um, so everywhere around me there are like reminders of who I actually am, right? So I don't get carried away when I've had a great time on the television. But I think when it comes to having this mindset, I, th I think what is really encouraging about this is that you're not, you're not born like this. Like, high performance isn't born. Like, of course you can have innate talents, right? But there are enough people that throw away their innate talent. There are enough people who are born with very minimal talent who do absolutely incredible things. Why is that? Because our reaction to life is so much more important than life itself. And I think the reason why that's really valuable is that I'm having high performance conversations and recording my podcast on a weekly basis. And so I'm constantly reminded about these things. And it almost keeps me honest. It stops me from getting carried away. And that's a really strong message for people is that you can, by reading books, by listening to podcasts, uh, by speaking to people around you, you can have you know, a perceived mental strength. You know, and I'm no different to anybody else, man. I've had therapy, I've had difficult times, I've had some mental health challenges over the years. They're all still like floating around, probably just beneath the surface. But really strong, encouraging, positive, uplifting, optimistic messages. It almost feels to me like it rewires your brain and I feel like so grateful to be having these conversations. Sticking on the, the business leader theme, mm -hmm. um, you know, you, you, you get the idea for Whisper. Um, kind of tell us about that kind of early journey. Um, and the other thing that really, really stuck out is that you've taken no external investment prior to Sony. But yeah. just tell us a little bit about those, those kind of early days of Whisper. Again, it was probably born out of naivety. 
So I was hosting Formula One and I was working with this guy called Sunil Patel, who to this day is the CEO of the Whisper Group. And he is one of those rare people that can do amazing things in the creative space, but actually gets it done as well, rather than someone who can get stuff done, but they don't think mad, whereas Sunil thinks like crazy wild ideas and then makes them happen. And I do think that people don't think big enough in life. I do think that without even knowing it, we're restricted by what other people have done before and we assume that if it hasn't been done, then it can't be done. Whereas actually that's not really true. So BBC Sport were closing down their offices and moving them to Manchester. And Sunil didn't really want to move to Manchester. He had a young family. And I don't really know how it came about other than I have a vivid recollection of me standing in the pit lane in Monza. And I said to him, well, let's just do our own thing. Why don't we create our own production company? And the reason why we'd thought about this is that at the time there was lots of production companies that were working with brands in Formula One. And the way it often works is they have, because they're sponsors, right, they have access to drivers, access to the teams, access to tracks. So they would come to us and say, we've got this amazing opportunity with these two drivers doing this really cool thing. Would you like the content? And of course, we'd be like, yeah, we'd definitely have the content and we'll put it on the BBC as part of our, our show on a Saturday or a Sunday. Then it would arrive and it would be plastered in advertising, can't be on the BBC. Poor video quality, poor audio quality, no story, no depth to it, and it was just not very good. And these brands were spending millions of pounds on this content that was just not good enough. And it used to frustrate us. And then me and Sonny were like, why don't we go to these Formula One teams or to these brands and say, we will produce quality content that I promise you will be good enough to go onto the BBC. And if it's good enough to go onto the BBC and if it passes the stringent checks that everything has to have to go onto the Beeb, it will be on every other channel. You know, we are we are have the, the sort of tightest regulations, basically. So we'll make it so good, everyone else will want it. And the first meeting we have had was with the Williams Formula One team. We went in there not expecting much. And we walked away with them saying that they would allow us to produce their content for a season. And it wasn't a lot of money. It was about a 70,000 pound contract. And obviously we had to produce the work for that as well. But it was enough for Sunil, and all credit to him, to take that leap, to take that risk to have that optimism that it was going to be okay and to walk away from his staff job with the BBC. I will readily say it was less of a risk for me. I remained as the Formula One host, so I was okay. I was still getting a salary. The real risk in this instance was Sunnels. So off we went and we decided to do it. And it wasn't too long until we realised we didn't actually have great commercial contacts. So we thought, who do we know that has really good commercial links in the motorsport? David Coulthard. So I remember we spoke with David Coulthard and he agreed that he'd like to get involved. And then he said to us, how much will it cost me? And we were thinking, hold on, we, we would never even consider that you'd want to pay for this. So we were like, well, what answer do we give him? And Sonal was like, well, I've, I've, I need a new bathroom in my, in my house, which is going to cost about 30 grand. So I said, well, why don't we ask him for 60 grand? So David Coulthard paid 60 grand for a sizable chunk of whisper, and it's probably the best investment that he's ever made in his <laughs> yeah. life. But I think there's a good lesson there as well. It's so easy for founders and business owners to keep hold of the equity, right? I would much rather have a smaller slice of a bigger pie. And that's what David helped us to create. And then we did fine, not amazing, but fine. And there's another lesson there at Stick At It. You know, we made sure that our standards were high and our production values were great and that we did a better job than everybody else. And then Channel 4 created something called the Growth Fund, 
where they invested in businesses like ours that was a small business that really could be rocket propelled and could be so much bigger and better than it was. And they just basically, again, took equity for a really low figure in return for, in return for giving us knowledge and giving us support. And again, it could have been so easy to say, well, why on earth would we, like the value of what they want is so much greater. But we always have to think in business, not the cost, but the value. Like what's the value they're gonna give us? Far greater than any amount of money they could have given us. Access to great minds. So again, I, I can sit here and say, oh, look at us building a business with no equity. Look at the luck. Look at the luck, man. I was working in Formula One. We got a deal with Williams. David Coulthard got involved. Channel 4 saw our potential. That's lucky. Yes, you make your own luck, you're open to it. But we were lucky. And Channel 4 were great partners of ours and eventually they sold their, their stake to Sony, who remain minority investors in the business, even to this day. It's been an incredible journey. And I often am asked, like, how, is it, how have you done it? And that is a very hard question to answer. All I can say is that we've, we haven't just done things right, we've tried to do the right thing. So the TV industry is not well enough represented from people from ethnic minority backgrounds. Our CEO is the Asian son of a news agent's owner from Twickenham. People like Sunil don't run production companies in the UK. There are not enough women working in businesses. We're very, very keen for our business to be 50-50 male and female. We produce the Paralympics for Channel 4. We make sure that we're not one of those companies that puts disabled athletes in front of the camera. We actually have a disabled production team behind the camera because that's true representation. We have great mental health package for everyone that works for us. We have a really cool onboarding process. We have this awesome booklet notepad that everyone gets given and the first seven or eight pages are colour photographs about the ethos and the growth and the, the passion and the purpose behind Whisper. We create internships that supports people that would never get an opportunity in the industry. I have a scholarship at a university near me in Norfolk, which is only open to people who come from a low-income background. None of those things guarantee you're going to have a successful business, but all of those things are daily reminders of your purpose. And if you can have a clear purpose, then other people will understand what you're trying to do. They will believe in it, they will buy into it, they will support it. And there is no business without other people's support. In our case, people wanting us to work for them and to commission us to produce content. And I think that it comes out to the value versus the cost. Like it's hard for us to put a true value on doing that. But I certainly believe that there is no production company like ours in the UK, if not the world. And that is, that is what's made a difference to us. You know, you've had these incredible discussions throughout kind of that journey, yeah. um, but you've also said that you're someone who suffers with imposter syndrome. When you were going into those meetings, did you have anything that you'd say to yourself or just some kind of reinforcement that maybe someone who's having a, a difficult discussion that needs to try and get partners on board or investors or something like that, something they can almost just reinforce uh, before they go into yeah. those meetings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would say we're always told, aren't we? Imposter syndrome is a bad thing. You don't want to feel imposter syndrome. Don't be envious of other people's success, right? Um, don't have doubt. Self-doubt's a bad thing. I would flip all of that on its head. And I believe that flipping your thoughts is really valuable. In fact, I know it's really valuable because it meant when I was going into those meetings, I was flipping those thoughts, right? So let's take imposter syndrome. Like, do you have imposter syndrome? Yes. Like feel that you're like, when you sit down to do an interview or something, you've got those right. Do you have imposter syndrome about whether you can cook a ready meal? No. No. 
because it's easy and you don't really care. You know what you're doing, one minute, three minutes, whatever. Like, it's, you have it about this because you really care about this. You don't have imposter syndrome about things that you don't care about. So it's time for us to change the language about this sort of stuff. Imposter syndrome is great. Imposter syndrome means that you care. Therefore, instead of calling it imposter syndrome, reframe it as I'm, I'm a bit piqued by this. How fantastic is that? You found something that you care about, you found a bit of purpose, you found a bit of passion, you're piqued. Envy is another one. Like envy, and it's so prevalent now, and it's so important, particularly for people who are starting out on their business journey, because they will watch this and be like, oh, flicking hell, he's in his mid 40s, and he's got these three or four businesses on the go, and he's had a successful TV career, and he's made it it's so easy for him to sit now, so envious of what he's done. Ask yourself why you're envious. You're envious because someone else has something that you want. Now it's about making sure that you, you look at it in a valuable way. It does you no good at all to sit there and bubble up with anger, scrolling through Instagram, seeing other people's success, thinking, well, that's never gonna happen for me. The way to look at envy is to see it as like, it's like a mark on the map, it's a thing that you want. It's great. I went, my daughter really wants to be an actress, and we went to the, uh, we went to the theater to watch the panto, and at the end, I said, what did you think of it? And she said, I hated it at the end when everyone was clapping. I said, why? She goes, because I really wanted to be on the stage and everyone was clapping me. And my wife immediately was like, Florence, don't think. I was like, no, actually, how great is that? There is your North Star flow. There's your envy, that you care about this. So do you know what? Apply hard work, explore, be optimistic, be dogged, don't take no for an answer, be consistent, we can talk about consistency, it's the secret sauce, it's great. So I was flipping these thoughts, probably without even realising it at that early stage. And then we've had people on the podcast over time who've spoken about this again and again and again, and it genuinely works. So just have this mindset, if you can, that life is not the things that happen to you, life is how you react to those things. Easy to say, less easy to do, but it's doable. Like your reaction to the things that happen will determine the outcome. Again, every business person watching this, every entrepreneur who's going through, no matter where they are in their journey, um, talents and putting the right people around you and people that you can trust is such a, a big thing. Mm. Um, and I'm sure you would have gone through that with Whisper, but something that keeps coming up with us uh, on our podcast and various people that we talk to is these leaders are almost getting frustrated because the staff that they have or you know, the senior management team that they have don't think the same way that they do, don't have the same drive that they do. And a lot of people get quite frustrated with that. And you know, why can't you just do, if I was in this position, I would do that. But to grow your business, you can't do everything yourself. Tell me a little bit about how you've managed that, uh, you know, whether that's your personal experience or whether people that you've kind of chatted to in the industry. If you're a business owner, and you're frustrated that your staff are not as committed and as dedicated or as on the journey or as plugged in as you, then you're kidding yourself to think there'll be anything else. Why on earth would someone earning a salary be committed to the same extent as a person with equity? And who, when that business grows and they sell for millions and go and live on a yacht, why would a person who basically, when your business is successful, it means they have to work harder, why would they commit the same way? So how do you solve that equation? Well, there's two things, right? My approach is you share the love, you share the equity. So high performance is a really young business, right? But already um, I've given, not sold, given equity to the entire business. 
Every single person that works there has a share of it. It's a partnership. Why? Because I want them to come on the journey. If they do incredibly well, then they should get rewarded. And I will also get rewarded. Again, it's all that, that idea of having a slightly smaller slice of a bigger pie. Let's go on this journey together. It's way more fun as well. It can be very lonely being a leader, very lonely being a CEO, very lonely plowing that furrow, particularly when you feel like people aren't on the journey with you, but they won't be unless you bring them. So that's the first thing. Share the love, share the equity. Sometimes that can be difficult. So if you're unable to do that, if there are restrictions in your business, if you've got other investors and it just isn't possible, then it's about sharing the journey and sharing the passion and sharing the why. You know, we had Simon Sinek on High Performance and I would recommend anyone to listen to that podcast when he talks to us about how to find your why. And on the High Performance app, he spoke me, he talked me through it and explained to me how I find my own why. You need to talk to your staff about that. Communication is absolutely vital. You need to find not just their why, but you also need to find how you can explain the passion that you have for your business to them. So you need to make sure that they understand the bigger picture, but also you need to understand that they might just be with you for a short amount of time. They might work for your business for six months, six years, right? So your job actually isn't just to wring them dry and go, thank you so much for giving me all of your knowledge, all of your hard work, I've exhausted you, you haven't got a partner, you haven't got any family, you haven't got any friends because I've taken everything you've got, off you go. What a horrible way to create a business that is. The best way to do it is to say, I will give you as much as you give me. So the more you give to my business, the more passion you feel, the more understanding, the more I'll build you as a person, the more training courses I will go on with you, the more people I will put around you to mentor you, the more I will introduce you to other people who may well come in and steal you from my business, but you know what? Life is about more than my business just being successful. Life is about, at the end of my life, being able to sit there and go, I did okay, but also, I took so many people on a great journey and they took me on a great journey. Like, that's what it's really about, right? So that's the first thing, sharing the love. The second thing is how you hire people. It's really hard to hire people and get the hire right. It's almost impossible. Like, what's the actual chances of you, for example, wanting to find a really good chief commercial officer for your carpet business in Scunthorpe, right? What is the actual chances of you finding an amazing person for that job? by putting out a post and advertising it, reading some CVs and doing an interview, like, slim. But you get it wrong, and what's it gonna cost your business? 18 months, two years to unpick it and find someone else? So right back at the start of this conversation, we spoke about exploration and optimism, right? I am, you know, I, I suppose in some ways you could say I'm always hiring, right? I'm constantly meeting people getting to know people, understanding what makes them tick. I had a meeting just now, and five or six incredible things came out of that meeting about connecting people, connecting them to Coral Eyewear, the eyewear brand I'm involved in, connecting them into high performance, connecting them into Whisper. Like, there's loads that we can do together. And so it may well be that, that person ends up working for me, or I might end up working for them, right? But that's so much more valuable and rewarding than going through like the linear traditional process of, of hiring people. So I think that's really important. Have that mindset all the time that anyone incredible, there might be an opportunity to work together. And by the way, you could only find that out by asking questions of other people. And that takes me on to my third point really, which is be better at asking questions. We need to teach kids in school instead of answering questions better. We've got to teach them to ask better questions. 
Well, there's nothing more important than asking good questions. So be good at asking questions. Like when you meet people, you will only find out about them by asking them things. And I have so many messages every single week saying, hi Jake, I know you're really busy because you've got all these things going on, but I'd really love you to be part of my new business adventure. I'd really love you to support me. I'd really love you to mentor me because it'll, be, it'll do this, 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 and this for me. And I love the idea of doing that. I sadly don't have the capacity. But I think what people also have to remember is like, what's in it for the other person? If I'm asking someone to come and do something amazing for me, I always make sure that the value they get back is greater. There's a brilliant book called The Go-Giver. Read The Go-Giver. But the story is about someone who is a sales guy and he thinks that being a sales guy is about getting the most amount of money out of the person you're trying to sell to. Absolutely incorrect. The best salespeople offer more value to the person than the money they're getting back. Like, just give value to people. Give it away. Like, leave it all out there. I don't think you can go far wrong. Everything you said there is just, it, it's, it's fantastic. And I, I'd like to think that a lot of the modern day leadership is, is you know, consistent with that and people are a lot more purpose driven. But, you know, it wasn't too long ago that we had these, these titans of industry, these business leaders who mm. ran by force and were very outspoken. And do you, how do you reflect on, on times when, you know, because I mean, business very much to your average person who's not in the business community is seen as, you know, billionaires trying to stuff their pockets. How, how, do, you, how do you kind of reflect on, on those bad uh, viewpoints of your average person in the business leader community? I feel, I feel again, very lucky that I'm operating at a time where it isn't like that on the whole. There still are people that run their businesses in what I would consider to be an outdated or archaic way. And I suppose the difficult thing is that some of them are really successful. So I, I can't sit here and say, if you run your business like a bastard, you're gonna fail. And if you run your business and you give great value and you look after other people and you care about your staff, then you're gonna be successful, right? Sadly, it isn't as black and white as that. So all it really comes back to is what, what, what drives you, what gives you a buzz. And I can promise you this, making money is almost at the bottom of the list. I actually think that making money is a byproduct of doing things right. That's how I like to think. Yes, it's a bit fairy tale, and it's, you know, you could argue what a load of nonsense. Just drive hard on your business, you know, graft, work every minute of every day, sacrifice everything. And you have, yes, you, you can have success that way. But I don't, it doesn't speak to me, and I don't think it benefits the person that's done it. I don't think it benefits the people around them. And that's one of the things I really rally against. You know, I see a lot of people using their Instagram accounts to show us how hard they're working to show us how many hours a day they're doing or to show us that they're constantly flying in planes and they're never at home and they haven't got time for a relationship. And it's like, please stop doing that because you're really not helping people. There are people really struggling at the moment. There are people that really feel like all the things I've spoken about they've done and it just hasn't happened for them. And it's really difficult for them to keep on seeing those messages. So you have to be, you know, I suppose, what this really boils down to is a mindset that I've probably developed in the last four or five years, right? Would I want my kids to work for me? If the answer to that is ever no, then I've seriously gone off the rails. Um, I would love Flo and Seb to come and be themselves, be an individual in a business. 
I think the reason why that's really important, right, is because also people that chase the money, right, they've, they've got their eye on the wrong thing. And what they're actually going to do is delay their happiness. And that's really sad. Because even though they're perceived to be successful, what, what is high performance if it isn't being happy, being content, being able to sleep well at night? What is it? Because I have loads of people who come on my podcast, they've achieved incredible things, and they don't have happiness. They don't have serenity. Or they spent their whole life climbing towards something to realize that the view isn't actually what they thought it was gonna be. And they've wasted all those years of climbing. Like, probably the greatest single example is Johnny Wilkinson. Won the Rugby World Cup after 20 years of hard work. Felt joyful for 30 seconds. Is that a good trade-off? So my advice to people would be, please don't focus on the wrong things, which is external validation, perceived success, financial success. Because actually what you're doing in the short term is you're delaying your happiness, thinking that you're gonna reach this incredible moment where you go, wow. Like there were people listening to this who say, I'll be happy when I hire my first member of staff, or I'll be happy when I get out of debt, or I'll be happy when my business is a million pound a year to have a business. I'll be happy when I do the exit and sell it. I'll be happy when I've done the exit and I've bought a house. I'll be happy when I've done the exit, bought a house, got a yacht. I'll be happy when I've done all that and can retire. And what happens is you get to that point of retirement and you go, oh bloody hell, I I never got that moment of joy. Where was the joy that I was meant to get from all of this stuff? Like everyone told me I'll be happy when I did all this. The joy is in the doing, man. That is the joy. The joy is in the failing, the joy is in the struggling, the joy is in those little successes, the joy is in the personal relationships, the joy is in trying things and seeing if they come off, the joy is in realizing they don't, but there might be another way of doing it. That is, that is all the joy. It has to be there on a daily basis. And you know, you, one of your questions early on is how do you keep bringing yourself back to trying to do the right thing? I think, I think that's a really good reminder. Like, you have to find the joy in the doing, not in the achieving. Definitely, and you know, we've touched a, a, a part of quite a few people that you've spoken to on the High Performance Podcast. Yeah. And you know, like you mentioned, it was just before COVID that you started it, but how has your mindset changed? Did you go into the High Performance Podcast trying to do something and then it's changed over time? Or, you know, because you, you've almost brought yourself on this journey of talking to these incredible people, yeah. and I'm sure that must help you personally, but you know, how is your reaction and kind of what you were expecting to get out of the podcast for your audience, you know, how has that changed over time? It's a perfect question because of what I just said. Like when I started High Performance, I genuinely wanted people to see you've got to work hard and you've got to graft and you've got to be out of the house for 24 hours a day and you can't all this wishy-washy nonsense about you know oh you know just uh don't worry about working hard it'll come your way i wanted to i wanted to rally against that i wanted to be like graft push struggle get up go again and then i realized how having had a few conversations with people that all that did was lead to more of that you know, again, I can go back to the most incredible conversation with Johnny Wilkinson, where he said to us, he thought that like struggle and failure and getting knocked down and clawing and for that inch and trying to be successful would eventually lead him to success. But all that stuff does is just push you down further, leave you clawing more, leave you struggling even more. It's not actually about what I thought it was about. I genuinely thought it was about the sacrifice and then the reward. Why do you have to A, sacrifice to get the reward? Why can't we, why can't we think, look at business in a different way? Why do we have to look at some things in life and think it's really important to be rounded, but then when it comes to business success, we love to talk about this, this inability to balance everything. You can't be a great present parent and a brilliant partner and a successful business person. Of course you can. You absolutely can be one of those things. And it just brought me back to the fact that high performance is actually about happiness. 
And then I sort of found myself questioning the title of the podcast. And that's been really difficult for me because when I called it high performance, I wanted people to think, I suppose I wanted to speak to great high achievers, put them on a pedestal, say, look at that person there, that's high performance. Then that person comes on the podcast and tells me that they're not happy and tells me that they don't have a relationship with their friends or their partner. Tells me that they've sold themselves down the river and sacrificed everything they believed in to be successful and that they feel pretty empty, right? The world says they're high performance because they might have a billion quid in the bank or they might have five Premier League medals or they might be a world-famous actor. I say they're not high performance because they're not happy. That has changed. And therefore, my podcast and my whole reason for being now is for you to find your own version of high performance. For some people, getting out of bed in the morning is high performance. For some people, walking into a room and having the courage to speak to people is high performance. For other people, building and selling a business for 12 billion quid is high performance. We're all on our own path here. And comparison is the single worst thing we can do. Because no matter what you do, I promise you someone would have done something better. Like there are a million better podcasts than mine out there. There are a million more successful production companies. There are a million more successful TV presenters, right? If I spend my time thinking about them, it will diminish what I've achieved. And you need to rally against that because that's how the human brain works. You know, like after the Second World War, this was the first time they created marriage guidance counselling because there was a lot of broken marriages, a lot of men had not come home, so in the late 1940s. And the first question that they asked in this newfangled marriage guidance counselling was, what's the problem? But what happens then? The husband goes, well, the problem's this. And the wife says, no, the problem's this. And then they start having a row. And then the marriage guidance counsellor would say to them, how many out of ten for your marriage? And they go, six and a half. What immediately do you think when someone says six and a half? You go, well, what about the other three and a half? What's the problem? Let's think about the fact they were six and a half. You know, think about the fact that you're doing okay. If you're watching this, you're doing okay. You're doing your best. You know, high performance has gone from me believing it's about achieving great things to me being able to sum it up in a single sentence. Do the best you can where you are with what you've got. I can't ask any more from any person that I ever work with or love than that. Do the best you can where you are with what you've got. I promise you, I will leave this interview going, should have said this, why didn't I say that? How did I forget to mention that? You will leave going, why did I ask that? Why didn't I ask that? But you and me, mate, we're both doing the best we can where we are with what we've got. So let's just be nice to ourselves, right? Because life is gonna kick us in the bollocks anyway. <laughs> Let's not do it to ourselves. Yeah. You're doing fine, I'm doing fine. Let's see where we go. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I'm, I'm very intrigued too. You've done, is it almost 200 episodes Over, of the podcast? Yeah, Over 200, 215 or something. Like yeah, that. so I mean, what, what do you think your radar is like for people who come in and say that they're happy, but you can kind of, you look at them and you go, I don't think you're happy. When you put that to them, pretty much nine times out of 10, they will, they'll agree. They'll open up. I think people don't come on the High Performance Podcast unless they're willing to, to expose themselves a bit. Um, and sometimes that takes time. I mean, generally we talk for about 20 minutes before we get to the stuff that I love. And that's because it takes people about 20 minutes to use up all the stories they've told everywhere else and to realize that we're not there to catch them out or cause them problems. Like being vulnerable is okay. And once you get to that point of vulnerability, 
um, then I think I don't think they lie to us. So I, I think we get the truth from people. Really valuable for us, but also I think it's really important for the people listening because don't forget we're sitting this close so we can, we can smell it, right? That human instinct is there. If you're listening to the podcast on a run or when you're driving and someone's dropping some BS, you're not gonna hear, you're not gonna see it. So I think it's, it's really imperative that if we think someone is not telling us what they really should be telling us, we either call them out on it or in some very rare instances, don't put the podcast out. How many times have you done that? Three or four times. Because we have a responsibility, you know, we are getting messages from people who are, you know, some of them are running businesses with lots of staff. Other people are running schools with hundreds of kids. Other people are suffering with real serious mental health problems or trying to recover from a trauma. Like, we have a real responsibility to those people. So we can't be putting stuff out unless, unless it's the right stuff to put out. You mentioned consistency earlier, and, you know, we had Stephen Bartlett on a couple of years ago, and he was talking about how consistency for him was the biggest thing. You know, he'd start doing a YouTube video and, you know, it would be lights outside and then towards the end it would be, you know, it's a two minute video, but by the end of it, it's dark because he just, he just took so long to kind of get to it. And now obviously he's a juggler yeah, with his yeah. podcast. But, you know, what, what would you say are the kind of common top traits for successful people? I think the biggest thing is an understanding of what success looks like and how to get there. And by that, what I mean is that I think a lot of people think that it's about taking these great big leaps. It's about doing these massive risky moves. It's about leaving your school friends behind and going and starting out something new. It's about trying to break down barriers and do stuff that's never been done before. I actually think that you can find success that way, but it's rare, it's risky, and it's probably unhealthy. I think actually what it comes down to is what we refer to on high performance as world-class basics. And the great thing about world-class basics is that they're there for everyone. And you can get inspiration about that from anywhere. I mean, I was watching Frozen with my two little kids not long ago, and what does Olaf say? Just do the next right thing. Like, that's a Disney movie, and the advice is absolutely on point, by the way, because that's what life is about. Life is about world-class basics. So it's about getting up in the morning at time like, let's talk about ripple habits, right? A really good example of a ripple habit is the time you get out of bed. So if you, you know, if you've got children, you look too young. Yes, you got kids. Oh my God, you're aging well with kids. Bro. Thank you very much. What are you doing with that forehead? Because I, <laughs> I need some help. Um, so getting out of bed late, right, will just derail your whole morning because then you're chasing to try and make snack or make your kids school lunch. And then you're trying to make them breakfast and you're not really engaging with them because you're running around and you're like on the go all the time and then you're getting them dressed and then you're getting them out the door, but you haven't had time for your own breakfast or to even think about what's going on in your life because you're dealing with your kids. And then you do the school run and you get home and you think, right, I, I should have really thought about this early, but I need to work out what I'm doing today. And then you get in a bit hungry, so you eat some crap at about 11 o'clock because you didn't eat breakfast because you didn't give yourself the time. And then you feel bad about yourself, so you think, well, I'm not gonna bother going to the gym today because I've already had an awful start to the day because you snack, you don't really eat lunch, and then you think, well, I'm gonna push through to dinner, then you've got that really dangerous hunger at about six o'clock where you just wanna go for something that's really carb-loaded and loads of sugar and fills you up, and then you know you've had a bad day, so you think, well, so I'll have a glass of wine this evening and half a packet of Pringles, because the day's already a write-off. Like, And then you go to bed late because you've got all of this sugar and salt and alcohol spinning around in your system, and it derails you for the next day. A world-class basic is making sure that you just set your alarm half an hour before everyone else in the house gets up. And you go, right, first things first, just 10 minutes to gather my thoughts. Like, what does today look like? What's the plan? 
I'll make the kids snack before they come down. I'll maybe stick some porridge on, which is a great breakfast for them, but I'll make enough for me. I'll sit with my kids and eat that porridge and I'll have a chat with them about the day. I mean, mine are obsessed with either, Seb loves football videos on YouTube. Florence is cute, because although she's 11, she likes watching Alvin on Netflix, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Turn that off, sit, have breakfast together, talk to each other. I've eaten, they've eaten, we've bonded, we've chatted, right? You do the school run, you get home, you're not hungry because you ate a proper breakfast. Then you think, right, that's a good start today. I'm going to do a lunch, right, a proper lunch, nice salad, right, great. That's been good so far today. So let's go and do a quick workout this afternoon or let's go for a walk or let's go to the gym and just do something really great. And then it comes to the end of the day and you're properly hungry because you've eaten well, good sustainable stuff. You do the right thing, you end the day in a good way. Then you know you're getting up early tomorrow, half an hour for everyone else. So you go to bed at the right time rather than stand up late watching crap that doesn't serve you right on the telly. So that whole day is better because you just got up half an hour earlier. Like you prioritised your life over your snooze button on your phone. And that's a world-class basic and that's a ripple habit. To find out more, listen to the James Clear episode on high performance. He was brilliant about this. You know, Atomic Habits is his book. That's what it's all about. It's this, and that's a really, I think a really reassuring message for people who are either on the journey or, or thinking about the journey is that it's not about the big, scary, huge leaps into the unknown. It's about looking at your day and going, right, what are the world-class basics I can work into my day? Nutrition, communication, being present with people, looking after myself. What are those world-class basics? How do I just do the best I can where I am with what I've got? How do I do the next right thing? If you do that and you marry that with some optimism and you hoover up people around you and you constantly get good at asking questions rather than answering, if you're better at listening than you are at talking, if you found out your why, if you live a life with purpose, if you sell that purpose to other people around you, if you share your success and you give away either equity or cash and you reward the people around you, not only, I believe, are you more likely to get to the destination that you want to, but you're gonna enjoy the journey on the way there as well. And one without the other is a missed opportunity and a missed life, mate. The, other, the last thing I wanna kind of touch on is the, is the F word, which, you know, business people know a lot about, um, but there's still a very negative connotation towards it, and that's that's failure. Yeah. And you know, if you if you kind of take a certain p- part of your journey, you know, here you are, failing A levels, you're you know fired from McDonald's. Mm-hmm. You could have easily been written off as a failure, and things fall differently. And we're not talking to Jay Humphrey, you know what I mean? Yeah. So. How, how, how do you kind of think the, the relationship has changed with failure? And do you have any kind of advice for people who maybe have just gone through something like they've had to close down their business or something like that? Do, yeah. you, do you have kind of words of wisdom for them? Yeah, and again, I'm so wary of this because if someone's watching this and they're struggling and things have been really bad for the last few months, me sitting here talking about the power of embracing failure is just shit for them and would really annoy me if, if it was me. So in terms of practical advice, Nothing is going to remove that failure, right? But again, your reaction to that failure is far more important than the failure. So the first thing I'd say is be kind to yourself. Again, so much toxic messaging out there, this idea, this bounce-back mentality, this bounce-back culture, this recover-quit. Sometimes if you've really been through a trauma, right, and your business has really either taken a battering or you've lost it, give yourself some time. Like, it's a long journey, right? And don't constantly think I can't write off six months that I'll never get back. That'll be the most valuable six, three, two months, two weeks. That'll be the most valuable because it allows you to reset and it allows you to go again. For people that aren't in that place, 
and struggle with this idea of failure. Um, I talk about this with Harriet, my wife, an awful lot. In fact, I'm a chairman of a charity in Norfolk and I stood up and did a whole presentation about failure and on the, in the car on the way home, she's like, I totally disagree with that. <laughs> but great, right? Like, that's wonderful. Like, life is about working out what works for all of us. And for my wife, this just doesn't resonate. She doesn't like the idea of failure. I love the idea of failure. You know, it's about reframing again. So if you go to the gym, right, and your PT says, right, I want you to bench press to failure. Of course, you don't go, well, I can't do that because failure is bad. You go, yeah, I know I need to bench press to failure because that's where the growth is. I know that if I do that, next time I'm bench pressing, I bench press harder, I bench press longer, heavier weights. You need to have that mentality about life. This idea of wanting to fail is probably not quite right. This idea of embracing failure is probably challenging. So the way I would term it is you need to operate in a window where failure is almost inevitable. We had a brilliant conversation on the podcast with Greg Hoffman, former chief marketing officer of Nike. He said, failure is the price of ambition. What a brilliant line that is. Failure is the price of ambition. I think if you can expect it, then you can accept it. So I would encourage people to operate in a window where failure is almost inevitable, where they're operating in that window where they're finding the envelope, they're finding the very edge, right? But then it's about how you deal with it when you do fail. So I think actually you do need to fail often. You, you, need, to have, you need to think like a scientist. Brian Cox came on High Performance, I think like a scientist, be proved wrong all the time. So want to be proved wrong, want to find the breaking point, because then you've reached the limit. Great, I, I, I just drop back a little bit, but I know exactly where the breaking point is, that's fantastic. So fail often, but fail forwards. And again, it comes back to people who are in a dark place at the moment who've been struggling. Your reaction, again, more important than the that's happened, what can you learn from that? Every single thing can teach us something and you will learn an awful lot more from failure than you can from success. And sometimes the worst people for us to have on high performance are people who've sailed through life because they don't actually, they can't actually explain how it's happened because it's just happened. Whereas I'm really grateful for all those successes. And the final point on this is you need to separate fault from responsibility. This is quite a hard point actually but it's really important and a good way to end. Loads of things will happen to us in our life that are not our fault, including the failure of our business, including a trauma from our childhood, including a difficult relationship with a partner. Just because they're not your fault doesn't mean it isn't your responsibility. And taking responsibility is about taking power and looking for excuses and looking to apportion blame is about giving up power. You know, without question, the hardest thing that's ever happened to me was my dad coming home. No mobile phones in those days. He was late home from work. And he had a phone call to say his mum had taken her own life. My grandma, like, the most amazing woman you could ever meet. It's not my fault, right? But the truth is it's actually my responsibility to deal with that and to come to terms with it and to use it as a superpower. When we were running Whisper and COVID happened and we were mainly producing sports content, that was none of our fault, but it was our responsibility to protect our staff, to guide our business through that period. And we came out of COVID with more staff on the team than we went into COVID because we took the responsibility. And my life will continue to be moments of failure, but it will also continue to be moments where I have to not look for blame, not worry about whose fault it is, but take responsibility. 
Yeah, like you said, that's a great way to end it. And, you know, Jay, thank you so much for your time. Um, it's now time for a very special segment. We're proud to give you the Good News Postcard. And Jake, today your question is coming from Kieran, aged 14. Hi, I'm Kieran from the Jordanian News team based in World Community School. And I would like to ask what the defining moment of your company was. Hello, Kieran. It's Jake here. Uh, look, first of all, thank you very much for your question. I love your young, inquisitive mind. Make sure you keep that throughout your life, mate. Um, I think the defining moment for our company actually was, was the coronavirus pandemic. Um, and I remember, actually, we'd been really careful with our business. We had saved a lot of money in the bank, and I thought, we're going to be great. And I rang the CEO, Sunil, and I said to him, um, what does this mean for our business? And my, our business is a production company called The Whisper Group. We produce lots of live sport and the whole sporting world stopped virtually overnight, which meant our income stopped overnight. And I said to Sunil, what does it mean for us? And he said, um, unless we can get some help from somewhere, we probably will be gone under in six months. And this is a business that we'd spent almost 10 years building and creating. But the reason why it's a defining moment of our business is I think that it's really easy to do the right thing when things are going well. It's actually much harder to do the right thing when things are hard. You know, for someone like you, it's actually much harder to stand up for someone in the playground at school than it is to float through school and be successful, right? So actually doing the right thing in the difficult moments is what really matters. And we could have easily just thought about how do we save our business, but actually we realized that it wasn't really about our business. It was about the more than 100 people who were working for us at the time. So they became our focus. And I think the fact that we put them at the center of what we were doing communicated to them immediately. Our CEO, Sunil, moved his salary to zero and his salary was given to members of staff that would have been struggling during the pandemic. I immediately made a pot of cash available to every member of staff. and I didn't want to know what the issue was, but if they needed access to cash and I didn't want it back, then they could have it. I think it was us doing the right thing at Whisper in that moment that meant when we came out of COVID, people in the industry knew that if you worked for us, you would get looked after whatever the circumstances, that we were a people first business, not a profit first business. Um, and it was about the outcome, not the income. And I'm pleased to say that the business is now thriving after COVID. And it was a great reminder to us that if ever we were in a really sticky situation again, uh, we do the right thing. We don't just look after ourselves, we look after everyone else around us. And I think that's probably a good lesson for life. Cheers, Kieran. That is a brilliant answer to a brilliant question. Thank you so much for that, Jake. And, you know, thank you so much for your time again. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to a you. Pleasure. Um, do you have any final words for our audience today? Yeah, no, I would just say um, it's all there for you. I really would say that. And I think that um, sometimes, again, that can sound trite if people are, are in a difficult situation at the moment. But the point I'm trying to make is that I want people to recognize that there is nothing special about me, right? I didn't come from a special family. I have no special talents. I don't have any amazing ability that nobody else has. And if I can do the things that I love doing, then you can as well. And it's about finding your why, finding your purpose, being single-minded at chasing it down and not allowing the modern world to put stuff that shouldn't be important as the most important thing. 100%. And where can people follow your journey online? Uh, they can track me down on Instagram, Jake Humphrey. They can check out whisper.tv or they can go to thehighperformancepodcast.com. 